welcome to the Sunday message for Sunday the 6th of November 2022 as we rush headlong towards the end of the year. Let's just get started by reading two scriptures in the New Testament. What I'm going to read might appear to the ignorant mind as a contradiction. Very often we find in the Word of God what looks like a contradiction. But it isn't a contradiction if you look at it closely. It's actually a paradox and we're going to look at that. But let's just look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be reading from chapter 16, verse 24. Well-known scripture, this. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, His disciples, by the way, are you and I as well. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All right? Whoever desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See that? Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. All right, let's just flip through to Matthew 11, verse 28. I assume this had been spoken earlier. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, let's just compare these two scriptures. On the one hand, the instruction is, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, do something that sounds difficult. That's not easy. That's not in our human nature to normally do. Take up our cross. And we could spend a lot of time what it means to take up our cross. But contrast that with my yoke is easy. So you see, on the one hand, we're instructed to do something that sounds difficult. And yet, the Lord refers to it as being easy. So you see, you might say, well, that's a contradiction. How can something that is onerous and difficult at the same time also be easy? Well, as I said earlier, it's a paradox, but let's just pray. Father, thank you for this precious word that you've placed in our hearts this morning. I pray that it will bless everyone. Within the sound of my voice, we come against any spirit of darkness that would try to interfere with this word and to rob it from us. May it produce fruit. May your word produce that for which it was sent. In Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Well, what is a paradox? A paradox is something that is seemingly contradictory, but on closer investigation and with thought, we realize it speaks of a deeper truth. Amen. The Bible's full of these so-called paradoxes. The whole gospel is actually a paradox. Christ had to die so that we could live. How do you mix life and death together, you see? We also think of themes like mercy and judgment, the law and grace, 
You see, judgment is almost the antithesis of mercy. And mercy is opposite to judgment, in a way. But if you look at these concepts in a bit more detail, you realize that if there is no judgment, mercy doesn't make any sense. If you're not guilty of anything, you don't have to be forgiven, see, on the one hand. But if we don't have law and order, then there's destruction. They seem to be contradictory, but they aren't really. If you just have judgment on its own, that will destroy people's lives. There will be no hope. But you can't have mercy on its own. Mercy without laws and realizing we need mercy is useless. So you see, you put the two together and you get a greater truth. Another good example is the whole subject of jealousy. In one place, God says we mustn't be jealous. Jealousy is a bad thing. And yet, he is a jealous God, you see. Somebody said to me, well, that shows that God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's contradictory. However, if you look at it closely, you realize something. There are two kinds of jealousy. There's a good jealousy and there's a bad jealousy. God is jealous for his people, I mean, but we shouldn't be jealous about other people and what they have. So you understand, throughout the Bible you find this tension between two points of view, which, if we look at them closely, produce deep thoughts, you see. And this is no exception. Here we have, on the one hand, picking up our cross. As Christians on the earth, we have to do things that other people are not required to do until they are Christians, obviously. And those tasks can appear onerous. You and I have to live by a different standard. We have to march to the beat of a different drum. We can't just live as we want to. We can, but we can't be Christians at the same time. There are rules involved, you see. There's a higher standard to which we are called. We can't just live for ourselves. As a Christian, if you just live for yourself, you're going to be a very miserable Christian. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian for that very reason. As I said, lots of people say, I don't want to become a Christian because I want to enjoy my life. <laughs> well, you see, we've got to understand these things. But you see, at the same time, even though we have to carry a burden, as it were, as Christians, that burden is light. And we need to understand this fully. And to understand it fully or better perhaps, we're going to look at an example from the Old Testament. The title of this message is Bearing the Ark. Bearing the Ark. You might recall, in Israel's early history, they were called out of Egypt, and they were required to go through the wilderness, which took 40 years plus. And you see, when they travelled through the wilderness, it was quite a performance. Carrying them, or leading them as we know, was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That method of directing Israel was situated or located over what was called the ark. God gave Moses specific instructions for the building of not only an ark, the ark of the covenant, but also the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, in a sense, a portable temple. Israel was required to carry a portable temple with them. 
that pattern that God gave Moses was also reflected in the temple that Solomon built and should be reflected in our lives if we think about it. However, the point is that this was to be carried through the wilderness. As you know, there were 12 tribes of Israel and there was the priestly class, the Levites. Their function was to take care of this Ark of this Covenant and this tabernacle. So what would happen when the cloud of glory moved on, the Levites would have to pack up all this paraphernalia, as it were, dismantle the portable temple and begin to carry it. Now you can imagine that that's quite an onerous task to carry through the wilderness. And to help them, God gave some assistance. Let's read about it. Let's go to number 7 from verse 1 to 9. The book of Numbers, chapter 7, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 9. Please bear in mind that God gave Moses instruction. Moses relayed these instructions to the people of Israel. He was the mouthpiece, as it were, of God. Number 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and consecrated it, and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. All right, so now they've done a trial run, so to speak. They've established this tabernacle. Then something happens. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought the offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen a cart for every two of the leaders. Remember, there were 12 tribes. And for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Please note, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Now listen to this. Two carts and four he gave to the sons of Gershon. There were three main tribes, as it were, families, named after three individuals, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. We have the Gershonites, the Merarites, and the Kohathites. All right. So now they two carts. And four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. Right, now remember there are six carts, and there are three families, as it were, involved. The first family gets two carts. Can you imagine what's going through the minds of everybody else? Oh, well, obviously, two, 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 you see. But something very strange happens. Then Moses gives the instruction to give four carts, and eight oxen to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. So we have six cards to start off with. Two have been given away. The next four have been given away. Guess what? What are the Kohathites thinking? Well, now, what's going to be given to us, you see? Maybe they're going to take another offering and take maybe another 12 cards, you see, because we've got a big job to do. We've got to carry the heavy-duty stuff. But, notice verse 9, But to the sons of Kohath 
he gave none. See that? Because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. That was God's instruction. The Ark of the Covenant had to be carried on the shoulders. Well, anyway, that happens there. But I want us just to enter into this and just think, what's going through the hearts of the Kohathites? This is really unfair. This is really unfair. We've got to carry the heavy Ark of the Covenant. All they've got to do is carry the tents and the poles and all that, but they've got all the transport. Can you see? And right there, one can just sense that a seed of rebellion gets sowed. Now, the story goes on. They carry on through the wilderness with this arrangement. And after months, I suppose, of trudging through the wilderness, possibly, possibly, this rebellion that had crept into the heart of some began to take fruit. Let's look at number 16, verse 3 and 4. Just shoot forward to number 16, 3 and 4. Now remember, Moses was operating under the instruction of Almighty God. It wasn't Moses' choice that the Kohathites had to carry the heavy-duty stuff through the wilderness. Maybe at the time he was sad to say it, but he was operating under the instruction of Almighty God. However, some of the Kohathites, please note, some of them did not see it that way. And listen to what they do. Okay, let's go to number 16. Let's take it from verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? You get the picture. See, it's human nature when you're not happy to complain. And we complain against people in authority, leadership, you see. Remember, it wasn't Moses that was trying to put himself over above everybody else. God had done it. He was merely obeying instructions. But can you see what they were saying? And probably heart of this whole thing was, who are you to tell us to carry this heavy piece of equipment through the wilderness? You don't have to do it. We have to. Who are you? We're all equal in God's sight, you see. Can you see the thinking? Anyway, Moses falls on his face before God. He realizes the danger of this whole thing. This is rebellion in the camp. There's a whole process. And Moses says, look, uh, let God decide who it is. Anyway, so they stand by their tents and Moses prays. And then, you see, verse 28, And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them on my own will. 
If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, and all the men with Korah and all their belongings. Wow, my goodness me. Well, I'm sure from that moment on, there wasn't much grumbling in the camp. I mean, but Israel carries on through the wilderness. Things return to normal, and as before, the Kohathites are bearing the ark. They are bearing the ark. The ones that weren't rebellious, the ones that perhaps didn't understand everything, but realized this is the instruction of God, and we need to just do it. And faithfully and humbly, they took up the Ark of the Covenant and carried it whenever it was necessary. Well, that's not the end of the story. Let's shoot through to Joshua 3. And this is where this whole thing becomes rather fascinating. This is years, years later. These men that have been saddled with the Ark have faithfully trudged through the wilderness bearing this heavy Ark on their shoulders. And the time comes to actually move into the promised land. Now, as we know, Moses had left and the gap was filled by Joshua. All right? And Joshua and Israel faced this problem going into the promised land. Let me tell you, as Christians, before we move into the next level of God's blessing on our lives, there's always an obstacle. Sometimes it might seem insurmountable. And this is no different. But Israel had been through this before, if you recall. With Moses, they were stuck with the wilderness and the Egyptians hot on their tails and the Red Sea, you see. And on that occasion, God instructed Moses to raise his staff. We all know what happened. They went through on dry ground. Notice the dry ground. And the Egyptians were swallowed up by the sea. Now, Israel is facing a similar problem, predicament. Not a sea, but the River Jordan in torrent, flooding its banks, as was customary at that time of the year. And here they are. Across the Jordan is the Promised Land. There's Jericho and the problems that that presents. But the first obstacle is this raging river. How do you go through this raging river? No engineering staff, no building materials, no bricks, no... You understand. It's a problem. It's an impossible situation. Well, Joshua gets instruction from God. And the instruction is along these lines. Joshua 3, from verse 14. Okay? So it was, when the people, you see, Joshua gave instructions for the Ark of the Covenant to go ahead, you see, to go ahead into this raging torrent. Now, right there, once again, a perfect opportunity to complain. Imagine you've carried this 
heavy ark of the covenant through the wilderness, and now you sent on what seems to be, to the natural mind, a suicidal mission. Take this heavy piece of equipment and go into the raging torrent. Now, there's no mention of any rebellion. And I believe that these tried and tested bearers of the ark had been so conditioned to obey God, no matter what, through the trial and the ordeal of the wilderness, they didn't balk. They just did what they were told. Amen? Please grasp this. They took up the cross. Now listen, this is what happens. Verse 14. So it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan. Now listen to this. And the feet of the priests who bore the Ark. You'll notice this term, bore the Ark, coming up again and again. Those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaretan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests, notice again, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Amen. What's interesting here is this. When Israel was confronted with a water problem, the Red Sea, God used Moses, in a sense, the man of power for the hour. This time around, however, Joshua had the good sense to hear God and do it God's way. I'm sure he would have liked to have stood by the Jordan, lifted up a rod and see the river part, but God had a different plan. And what's interesting is he called upon the ark bearers, the foot soldiers as it were, to go ahead. And as they did that, as their very feet, the feet that had probably been calloused through many miles of trudging with this heavy ark on their shoulders, those very feet, the moment they touched the river, it just sprang to attention as it were. And the whole earth dried up in the river bank, which in itself is a complete miracle. And notice, they went and they planted themselves with great fortitude right in the middle of this riverbed and allowed all of Israel to pass by. Now, I don't believe that God does anything in the Bible without a great purpose. And I believe this is a prophetic statement in a way. I believe 
as we approach the end of this age, God is going to unleash upon the earth a mighty wave of supernatural power. If you read the Bible very closely, you'll see that's the plan. And it is true that in the years past where God has been stirring the church, very often he has used individuals, great individuals, to, as it were, lead Israel, his people, to new things, very often at great cost to themselves, by the way. However, I believe as we move into this new dispensation, the day of the mighty man of power for the hour, in a sense, although God always wants mighty men, but the man that stands out, in a sense, is going to be a thing of the past. And the great miracles, as this tide of miracle-working power flows through the earth, is going to be carried, I firmly believe, by the common foot soldiers. The men and women who have proved faithful, who have picked up the cross, as it were, and faithfully carried it. Now you see, there are a number of issues you and I as Christians face. As I said before, the responsibility on us is greater than people who have no cross to bear, as it were, and just merrily go through life headed gaily for destruction. But the moment you and I become children of God, God asks us, as it were, to pick up our cross. You see, that ark represented the presence of God in the midst of Israel. And please bear in mind, without the presence of God, if you consider the odds that were stacked against them, any hope of success without God was impossible. Without God, there's nothing that they would have been able to achieve. So you see, the sacred duty of making sure that the ark was tended, translated into the assurance that God's presence would be with them. And if that presence were to evaporate, they'd be done for. The modern-day equivalent is the church. God's institution for the bearing of his presence in the earth. And did you know that the body of Christ requires maintenance? There have to be people who are prepared to carry the ark. It doesn't just happen. In Christ's ministry, it's interesting to note, even though he was God, God used people to help the ministry. Speaks about not only the disciples that he had around him that had to go and sort out the transport, as it were, the accommodation, the food, but also it speaks about women of substance that supported the ministry. You see, they helped carry the ark. I've often sat in big churches and thought to myself, it's quite a privilege to sit here in this auditorium. If you know anything about building, not that I do, but 
It's an expensive business, a very expensive business. It always has been, not only just building, but maintenance. And I've sat in auditoriums that are beautifully apportioned, and I just thought to myself, I have the privilege of sitting here because others, others, how many countless others went faithfully to work, took what they had, and gave. Gave towards the ministry. Gave towards the kingdom of heaven. Helped to carry, as it were, the ark. You see? And I realized that, as children of God, we have to make that choice. We have to make that choice. You see, and it can so easily happen, and it has happened, that we can be like the sons of Korah who deep in their hearts, began to complain. The cost of living is so high. Why must I tithe now on top of that? My life is so rushed. Why must I have to go to church every week and spend a whole Sunday morning away from what I've got to do? Why should I spend part of my day studying the Word of God, praying, all these added extras, looking after other people. You understand? So easily, all those things can begin to become a burden. However, you see, the point here is this, and remember the paradox. Take my yoke upon you, on the one hand, but my burden is light. And you see, what those Korathites got right the ones that didn't rebel, is this realization. We are carrying the glory of God. We are carrying the glory of God. Somebody has got to do it, and it's our privilege. And we are doing this for the sake of Israel. The success of God's plan on the earth. Can you see? That same thought needs to grip us. When you and I take responsibility for God's church, the called out ones, the assembly of the saints, the institution which God designed to carry His glory into the earth, to house, as it were, His glory in the earth, we've got to realize it is burdensome very often. And yet, and yet, what a responsibility. What an awesome responsibility. And it's so intriguing to me, or so wonderful to think that because of the sacrifice of those ark bearers, the ones who bore the ark, they were able to stand in the middle of that dry riverbed and allow the rest of Israel to pass by to pass through. And so it is, you see, that as individuals throughout the ages have taken up the responsibility of the burden of God's kingdom on this earth, paid the price, as it were, for those buildings, for the word, for the institutions of God. It's made it possible for many others to pass through. But you see, 
The burden is light because of the glory involved. You think about it. The only people that the river would respond to, as it were, were those who had faithfully carried the ark. Many people want to see the glory of God in their lives. They want to see the power of God. That, oh, so love to heal the sick and see God's Spirit flow through them. And that's a wonderful thing to want, wonderful things to desire. But what we've got to understand is God will impart that power only to those who have proved faithful. In the great revival that lies ahead, God is going to use the common people. But it won't be just every common Tom, Dick or Harry. It will be those who in the preparation stage have been available. Where there's been no limelight, no public display, no human praise or recognition necessarily, just quietly in the background, bearing the ark as it were. God is going to use such people in a great way. Just to close, I'd like to share one more scripture. The example of our Lord and Master Yeshua himself. Let's go to Hebrews 12 verse 2. The writer to the Hebrews writes in chapter 12 verse. Let's take it from verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, now listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see that? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you and I, as we walk through this life, let us not be those who balk at the responsibilities that we have as children of God. But rather, let's embrace them. Realizing, yes, it does seem unfair. It would be much easier just to live as everybody else is, doing their own thing, not bothered about any responsibility towards the kingdom of heaven. And yet, for the glory that is set before us, it's worth it. It's worth it. Be blessed in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen.